It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada, Dundalk and Cavan. We want you to challenge us for the best deal on a new Renault or Dacia in 2020. You can now inquire at blackstonemotors.ie. You're very welcome to Friday Afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Let's get straight to business because I have a very special guest for you today. She's originally from the Carrick Road in Dundalk. However, following a summer visit to her sister in the UK, she decided to stay and the rest is history. Sheila Bailey's Twitter profile describes her as an experienced charity professional, event director, racehorse owner and breeder and freeman of the City of London. And I can tell you there are many more strings to her bow as well. Sheila, you're welcome to the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's great to be here. It's great to have you with us. The Carrick Road in Dundalk. Tell us a bit about your family. What was your family name? Your married name is Bailey. I was a Dernan. Grew up in Dunhamore when Dunhamore was like, you know, a tiny little half a dozen houses, you know, whereas now it's quite different. Dundalk's expanded out. Went to school in St. Vincent's. Um, in those days, we all rode a bike to school, you know, nobody had transport the way it was. Um, very happy times, very happy memories. And I still have family there, my brother's there. And his children all live in Dundalk. So it's still very much part of home, very much part of the family. There's an interesting connection with your brother and his marriage and another brother and his wife, isn't there? There is. My two brothers married two sisters. And... Um, Pat and Alice live in Dundalk and Leo sadly died a few years ago, but he and Teresa raised their family in Kill. So we have um, two tribes. <laughs> Fantastic. And of course, with your and your horsey interest, Kildare, of course. Well, what do you say about Kildare and horses in Ireland? And Well, you do. But, you know, um, before I came here today, I had a, a meeting with uh, someone who's on the board of HRI. And Dundalk is every bit as important to the racing industry as Kildare is. Without the all-weather course in Dundalk, I mean, where would you get a run for your horse? How yes. you know, what would you do all winter? Yeah. So it's hugely important economically and, and socially as well, because it brings an awful lot of people to the town who wouldn't necessarily go there. That's great to hear that from you, and, and it's important as well. I suppose the nearer to the church, the further from God. You know that type of <laughs> thing when you, when, you, when you live close to the Dock Stadium, and it is a marvellous, marvellous facility. This visit to the UK, you had a sister over there. Still have. She's still in this. Well, she's about four miles away from where she was all those years really? ago. Yeah, she's so, spent her entire life in Oxford. So you went over there for a visit with no intention really of staying? No. So what happened? What changed your mind? Well, 
I think it, uh, the time probably had a lot to do with it. You know, the late 70s. Um, I was reading an interview with uh, someone who's, who's going to talk to the Irish International Business Network in London. And it was exactly the same thing. She went over to London for a summer, came back and couldn't settle. You know, because the island of 1980 and late 70s, early 80s, everything socially, culturally, economically, very different from the Ireland of today. So when you got to London, you just got on with it and you had opportunities that we didn't have here at the time. And so many people never went back. I mean, there's a massive Irish diaspora in London and a really well-connected Irish diaspora there. And we do that old-fashioned thing now. We all sit around and talk about what it was like when we arrived, you know. I can remember those times because I'm a late teenager, early 20s I was around those times, and I knew how bleak it was. I know what you're talking about. So over you go and your sister is there. But how do you develop and, you know, integrate yourself into life over there? What happens? Um, I never found it remotely difficult. I think there was a fair Irish community in Oxford at the time. Um, And then I went from Oxford to Lambourne, where there was just as much of an Irish community there, because, you know, the racing industry, the horse industry, there's always movement of people. Um, And it was, I honestly can say it was never difficult. When... um, when I was sort of went on and worked in different sectors and went into the charity sector, it was never an issue. I think in many ways it's a great, uh, it's a great advantage because you can, you can sort of fit into any community there. You know, we were very, very well accepted despite the troubles at the time. You know, um, I'd certainly never found anybody who didn't... Um, it's wonderful to hear. Yeah. And is it still, do you feel it's still like that, even in, you know, in the context of Brexit and all that's been happening? And, you know, we've had relative peace, thank God, up the road for quite some time now. And we'll talk in a moment about what's happening today. Um, is it like that still? I think so. Yeah. I think I think the whole of the UK is very welcoming. Mm. Um, if you get on, if you get out there, do something And I was going to say get involved in your community, but you don't have to do that. Not everybody likes to get out and do stuff. But I think as long as you get out, do your job, live your life well, you have no hassle. Can I read a quote back to you? Sheila has grown the profiles and incomes of all the charities she has worked with and made a real difference to some of the most marginalised people in society. Isn't that just a wonderful tribute to you? Well, it is lovely. It's um, it's lovely to hear. I suppose I never think about that because I always think about the next job and the next thing I have to do and the next project. Um, but I've worked on some amazing things and some incredibly diverse things. I mean, there was no, there was no great master plan or no great um, particular area that I wanted to work in. Um, I suppose... For me, probably, I would say the Forgotten Irish Campaign, the Magdalene Laundry women, was very, very emotionally satisfying, you know, because in many ways I was able to identify so much with it. And I worked with amazing people. I mean, there there are loads of people in London who were in... And beyond London, I shouldn't just say that. There is life beyond the M25. <laughs> good, know. good, good. They love to hear that in All the north of England. Liverpool, Leeds, mm. Sheffield, Manchester, those fabulous communities out there. But it was a real privilege for those of us who did get those opportunities to go out and get away from the economic hardship here and make a life for ourselves, to be able to help those 
who didn't have quite as easy a mm, time. Mm. I suppose with the with the Forgotten Irish campaign, we worked mainly with, and, and probably one of the, the most difficult groups to reach, were the men who came over and worked on the building sites and didn't really integrate. They did their job. They went to the Galti Moor or whatever was like the Galti Moor on a Saturday night. Do you know, the only thing I can say about it is, do you remember that marvellous line in The Beauty Queen of Lenan when he's, he's writing the imaginary letter and, of course, he's narrating it? And he says, I did my job and on a Saturday I went to the Galti Moor. I had a pint. I talked to no one. No one talked to me. And, you know, every time I hear those lines, and I love Martin McDonagh's work, you realise just how true that was. Because these guys are now 80, 85, still living mostly in Camden, North London, living alone, might never talk to anybody. You know, somebody comes, does their shopping, that's it. It's, it's, it's a terrible existence. Mm. So all those lunch clubs might only be one day a week or two days a week. It gives them a chance to get out and talk to people who understand the life they've lived, you know, which is the really the most important. It's bit. nearly telepathic you talk about this because yesterday on the show we featured a man 90 years of age from County Mead talking about loneliness and how lonely life can be, even living in a, a town like Navin, you know what I mean, where you have lots of people around you. But besides, and I see the passion you have for the Forgotten Irish, I have to mention Macmillan Cancer. We were familiar, very yeah. familiar in Ireland with that charity. Stella Maris, the Maritime Welfare right. as well. And you were CEO of the Ireland Fund of Great Britain. Tell me a little bit about that. What, what was that fund about? Well, it, it, it's part of the, the whole Worldwide Ireland Funds, which was set up by um, the late, I was going to say, yes, Dan Rooney, who was the, um, our ambassador, and yeah. of course, Tony O'Reilly, um, have done marvellous work. The, the Forgotten Irish campaign was run through the Ireland Fund, okay. um, as was most of the work with the Magdalene Laundries, because it was the right vehicle and had all the, the mechanisms there to deal with it. But enormously good work right across um, a vast spectrum. Lunch clubs, dementia clubs, um, places for the elderly Irish to meet. Southwark Irish pensioners, I used to have a wonderful time there. Um, St Patrick's Day was always a, it was the best invitation in London to go there. You got a really good cabbage and bacon lunch. Um, just wonderful people doing lots of things for people who wouldn't necessarily um, be able to live out their days well. And most of them, their idea of success was to put themselves out of business, that they yeah. would deal with something and then move on. And that's a very progressive way of looking at it. You moved on then yourself in 2015. You set up your own consultancy and you've been working with clients like Penn International and Writers and Freedom of Speech covered under that's that right. area there. The State University of Arizona, Priors Court School, which is autism related right. as well. Was it, a, was it a big step or was it a natural progression to do that? It was a natural progression. It was... Um, I, I love taking something I like beginning middle and end projects where you can go out there you can find something and you can deal with it and every single one of those was such a thing very very different very diverse but equally you get a chance to work with people that you might never work with and see issues at first hand that I would never have come across Priors Court School is amazing um, 
it is, I can hardly explain to you the impact it has on the lives of those children and their parents, because these are some of the most profoundly um, autistic children around. Mm. The school itself was donated by an amazing woman called Dame Stephanie Shirley. She was known in business as Steve Shirley because she set up a company in tech many, many years ago and nobody would deal with a woman. So she called herself Steve in letters because nobody realised who oh it was. My, isn't that amazing? You know, when I sit with you today and think about you, I, I, the, the phrase give a busy woman a job comes to my mind about you because honorary commander of the Royal Air Force, Mildenhall, Royal Aero Club UK Awards Committee, Racehorse Owners Association, British Horse Racing Steward, Liveryman, Worshipful Company of Farriers, etc., etc., and... Freeman of the City of London. Where did you get time, Sheila, with all you were doing in your working life for all of this? Well, I suppose um, there is one thing that made a huge difference. Although I have been married for a very long time, I am married to a Merchant Navy officer. So for most, and really right up to now, except the time uh, spans are different, for most of my married life, my husband's away for six months of the year. So I never had to um, consider what was going to be for the dinner or whether there was anything in the fridge. <laughs> I don't know why you love that cabbage and bacon yeah, on St. Patrick's Day. Precisely. <laughs> Anyone who puts a, fee, a, a meal down in front of me is very popular. So um, I had, I had, I've only got one child. It's very, it's very strange calling Paddy a child, you know, this great six foot strapping lad. <laughs> but um, so I, I had no distractions and I've never done, I've never been the sort to have loads of hobbies horse racing and horses are a passion and a part of my life but I never saw them as something I did outside work so it was always work and I'm still the same and I wouldn't have it any other way so I have no complaints about that The free man of the city of London have you an issue with that man? Should you not be called free woman of the city? No, because the city is steeped in tradition and the masters of the livery companies, the women masters, are called masters. So I don't mind at all because of the fact that it is one of the oldest and most respected institutions. Um, and I also have benefits, you know. When what I, are they? I can drive my sheep over London Bridge, <laughs> for starters, and I was a farmer for many years, quite a good sheep farmer. <laughs> Um, but the the second major benefit is that I can be drunk and disorderly in the city of London without fear of arrest. <laughs> I have tested neither of those yet. <laughs> I was about to ask. <laughs> Just to clarify that, that's a very important <laughs> clarification. But it's a wonderful, wonderful honour, let me say. And it was given for services to the Irish community, community which London. we've been talking about in, right. in the city as well. Yeah. What a wonderful honour. It was. And, you know, at the time, I don't think I realised quite how how wonderful the ceremony is. It is. It's been the same for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Mm. So when I went to the Guildhall on the day I was admitted to the Freedom, um, I was slightly overwhelmed by the whole thing. It was an amazing ceremony. You stand and you deliver your allegiance and you read it from the old manuscript. So it's all Old English, um, which I did. Um, I'm proud to say without an error. And when it was all over, um, the, uh, the alderman said to me, Simon Callow is the last person who was awarded the freedom. You're Simon Callow, the Shakespearean A wonderful actor. actor. He said he got his words completely modelled. <laughs> 
It's made me feel quite good. You're a stand-in if ever he's in trouble. Um, you mentioned the horses are such a passion of yours, but what about this uh, 1939 de Havilland Tiger Moth That's right. aeroplane? Yes. You fly this? We have... Um, we had... Uh, a different era, but we had a moth. I love old biplanes. And actually, there's a massive history, you know, in Ireland with flying. Aviation in Ireland was quite a big thing. Uh, Lady Mary Bailey, who sadly is no relation, um, still had an amazing record to South Africa. Um, Lady Mary Heath, she flew a moth. They were all involved in the early days of flying. So my interest was sparked by the whole history. It's a very romantic sort of era. And there were sort of wonderful times i mean this was very very different times and my husband has always flown yes uh well yeah i suppose i can say he's always flown he had his first license when he was 17 my son had his license at 17 too so we started flying um ordinary regular what are known as spam cans um just basic two four-seat airplanes yes but we bought um a share in the first aeroplane, which was Ariadne, she was called. And that's a de Havilland Hornet Moth, which is a side-by-side, closed cockpit aeroplane. And we flew her all over the place. We had so much fun. And then a few years ago, uh, as I said to you, this is a milestone year for me. It was a milestone year for my husband. And he was doing the, I don't quite know what I'm going to do to celebrate. And he said, I've always wanted a tiger moth. And he came sort of dashing in one day and said, look, I found this advertisement. There's, there's, there's a tiger moth for sale in Old Buckingham, which is a, an old airfield in Norfolk. And I looked at the phone number and I said, yeah, but that's, that's a local phone number to us. And this tiger moth was for sale by a chap who lived about 200 yards away from us. So we went and flew it. Paddy was home at the time. And um, my husband said, oh, I, I said, look, just do it. What, what, why not? You know, you're only going to be the age he was once. Once? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just fabulous. It's open cockpit. It is, <clears throat> excuse me, it's on an, an airfield very close to where we live, 15 minutes down the road. It's the sort of thing that you go and do on a spring evening and you fly around the cabbage patch. You don't exactly do long distance things in it. And it's just perfect. You, it's escape. It's the ultimate escape. You it? love it. Absolutely. I can just envisage it. I often look up at them, the single engine jobs, and think, hmm, I've looked at my lawnmower times and think, well, I'd rather be on the ground with the lawnmower than up there. Well, and well, that- we, we always say I'd rather be up there Would looking you? down. It's the opposite way around. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Sheila Bailey is my special guest on Late Lunch this Friday afternoon. We've had a lovely conversation. What's your politics? <laughs> <laughs> the tone changes. <laughs> Um, what's my politics? I suppose I'm an old-fashioned conservative. So you must be delighted that uh, Boris is back with a clear majority. Thrilled. We needed to end all the ambiguity. We needed to end all the endless argument. We needed to get a man. He needed to get a mandate to move on. I think he was a brilliant strategist. Um, when you think back to what happened uh, when Theresa May became Prime Minister. I mean, Boris played that perfectly. Uh, I know everyone thinks he's a goon. You know, this is a guy who um, read classics, I believe, at Oxford. Um, He's a great strategist. He knows exactly what he's doing. Brexit is 
done now. More or less, it goes. It's going through the houses, gone yep. to the House of Lords at the moment. It's going to be enacted, and the thirty first of January. You're an Irish woman, through and through, but you've spent an awful lot of your life in in Britain. Pro Brexit, completely. Why? Um, I can go back maybe three summers ago, sitting in. Uh, the House of Lords with the Irish International Business Network with um, Susan Hayes, the positive economist, wonderful woman, great friend. And we were discussing it the whole evening. We were talking about Brexit. And I said to her then, I said, we will vote to leave. And she said, you're mad. I said, no, we will vote to leave. Now, I think part of the reason, and this always happens with referenda, the an awful lot of the UK electorate voted on the immigration problem. They didn't necessarily vote just on the EU issue. But the reason that happened was because David Cameron just completely ignored the concerns around immigration. So I point the finger at him for the mess we ended up in. So were you saying to me really that they didn't vote on the range of issues maybe they should have, considering more aspects of leaving the EU? Absolutely. But the way things turned out, the mood was absolutely vicious. I mean, there were families split apart by this whole Brexit issue. Um, on a light-hearted note, I have a very great Irish friend called Bernie O'Rourke who lives in London, and she leaned over to me and said very seriously, you know, she said, this is as serious as the way families fell out over Roy Keane. <laughs> Which I thought was one of the best comments anyone made about it. It's a great comparison because you know it did divide the nation here. But here's the thing in a, in a greater sense. You, you've realised the difficulties it's caused on this island. Mm. You know, on the DUP where backing up and supporting the Conservative government, well, they got the bums rush quick enough once he had the majority. And please God, you know, the situation is ongoing. Stormont will be resuming or else we'll have an election next week okay on but in the greater sense Scotland and Nicola Sturgeon who did very well in the elections they really did again is now looking at the prize of independence could it mean the breakup of the United Kingdom as we know it um I don't think it will I think when push comes to shove um they will Scots will remain true to the Union. I think the mood at the moment, coming out of the years, really, really awful times when people were absolutely vile to each other and you couldn't have a civil conversation. And if you were a, a Brexiteer, there was something wrong with you. And if you were a, a Remainer, you were a lily-livered liberal. Everybody had to insult each other. It was, it was, it was appalling. I would hate to see we would ever go back to that. I don't think when I don't think the Scots will vote to leave. Now, there's a fellow across the Atlantic. I'm trying to think of his name at the minute. <laughs> what, is, what is it? Oh, yeah, yeah, Donald is his first name. Mr. Trump. And look, seriously, this week what's happened in Iran and the fallout from that. And I know Britain are looking to America for a major deal, you know, post the EU membership. What do you make of this fellow? You know, how do you sum him up? Like, I have to say, I'd be very fearful of him. And I just don't know... I asked the question, does he know what he's up to? Well, I suppose my view of him doesn't matter quite so much as the Americans I speak to in America, their view. I have yet to find anybody who has anything really bad to say about him out there. And last year, I was in Florida with my oldest friend who lives in Rostreva, quite by chance, we sat out on the deck one night, the night we arrived, and she, after 45 years, she said to me, 
we're not going to fall out over Brexit, are we? I mean, it's that bad when people actually seriously make comments like that. I mean, they are they are American. She, her family are have lived there all her life. Mm. She was born there. We went and visited her sister, her younger sister. This is a family who are Democrats through and through. And the sister is an attorney, so she works in uh, sort of what we would call legal aid. Uh, she was completely in favour of Mr Trump. You know, she said, Are we getting a spin on this side? Is it spun to us? You know, is he spun all the time as the big bad wolf? Yeah, I think so. I mean, when you, what you see, the news over there is totally different to what you see here. Completely different. Worries me about this manipulation and, and social media, as you know well today, the way things, you know, are put out there and take legs and, yes. you know, <laughs> oh, but it, it, do you feel like you talked earlier on about growing up in the, the late 70s and early 80s and this country? How do you feel about the world today? Because I, I wanted to say something else to you. Um, you've been quoted as saying that you're driven by a desire to make the world a better place. Is it a better place in 2020 than 1979, 80? I think it probably is on the whole. If you, I, I always think of um, dear old Louis Armstrong, you know, and that song. The world today, everything is different. Everything uh, it, that's bound to happen. Where you have development, where you have communications at the speed we have them today, where you have barriers broken down, where you have people travelling, it's different. People's life expectancy is better today. Despite all the problems in the health service on both sides of the Irish Sea, still people are looked after. If you go in, you know, present in a casualty, you will almost certainly be looked after well. Um, education is better. Opportunities are better. So when I think back to growing up on the Carrick Road in the 1970s, yeah, I do think it is. Did you hear about the new movie? I've, I, I put a title on it here yesterday on the show, When Megan Met Harry. <laughs> Oh dear, yes, what can you say about them? You tweeted in the last few hours I saw you uh, about this and uh, you really are on the side of the Queen. You say you feel sorry for her and you felt this is most discourteous. Why? It is. Um, Regardless of what you think about, uh, about the royal family, and I don't have really hard and fast feelings about it, she has done her job all her life. She's been on the throne longer than any other monarch. She is consistent. She's done her duty. Now, okay, she may live a very comfortable lifestyle, but her lifestyle is dictated by the role she inherited. She's never put a foot wrong apart from that big wobble when Diana died. But, you know, everyone's entitled to one mistake. She's done nothing wrong. For that to happen is unacceptable to anybody to any family, it's unacceptable. I said it yesterday, behave. wouldn't you tell your granny? Yeah, of course you would. You would, yeah. like with, with any respect yeah, in any family. You You've also said the millennial self-absorption yeah. comes to the fore here. What do you mean by that? Me, 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 me. It's all about them. You know, Megan was an actress. She was an unheard of actress until quite recently. You know, suddenly she's one of the most lauded women in the world. She's pampered, she's privileged. You know, it's not all about her, though. She's joined, she married into a family. We all know that. I've been married for a long time. You don't just marry an individual. You marry a family, you marry a clan, you marry a culture. She knew what she was getting into. So to suddenly decide that, you know, it's not for her. Sorry. 
My producer Louise had a theory yesterday, and Mary Kenny, the writer and commentator, who's based, you know Mary, in the, and, and she's a regular uh, contributor to our national press here. Actually, when we came off air yesterday, we just saw, Louise said to me yesterday, I think she has uh, the eye on, uh, on another prize, and it's the other side of the Atlantic, and it's that White House that Mr Trump lives mm. in. And is that far-fetched? No, not at all. I can see she would imagine herself as a, you know, a Michelle Obama type. Um, who could inhabit the White House. I can see she would believe that. Personally, I think um, she's no Michelle Obama. Uh, You know, she's a very, very highly skilled professional. She has led a life on an international stage in a completely different sphere. We're mixing up, I think, Megan is mixing up celebrity with um, professionalism. Mm. You know. Yes. You keep a great eye uh, on, on both sides of the RSC. I see mm. that already and you are deeply involved in both. Before we finish, we are facing into an imminent general election here in Ireland and the two big issues you may uh, have, you do know this, is homelessness in Ireland and the health service. Mm. And you touched on the health service just a moment ago there. Um, why can't people get a grip on health, be it in the UK or Ireland? What's wrong? What's the answer? Um, I think it's a bit like the EU itself. It just becomes like topsy. It grows and grows and grows and grows. And there are more and more consultants. And I don't mean medical consultants. I mean, consultants come in and somebody advises on this and somebody wants to do that. And you bring in a new programme and the money is thrown at it and more money is thrown at it and there's a new scheme. And it's almost like everybody has to stop and rethink healthcare. But of course, you can't stop because people get sick all the time. Um, But it needs... It needs to be taken out of the hands, forgive me, I'm probably going to offend you here, of civil servants. And it needs to be treated as a business. I'm not talking about privatising it. Healthcare and the health service on both sides are major, major businesses with vast budgets and they need people running them who have a business mindset. Words of wisdom for she- from Sheila Bailey to finish our conversation on Late Lunch today. And I think there's a lot of people, I believe there's a lot of people who would agree with you on that one there. You're a fantastic woman. You've done really well. And it's been my privilege to sit with you on Late Lunch this afternoon and have this conversation. I wish you well. Sheila Bailey, thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I was christened Anne Mary Crilly, but I never liked being called Annie when I was small. Most of my friends call me Nancy, but to my students, I am always Miss Crilly. I just love those words. Yes, sadly, at 93 years of age, the legendary music teacher Anne Crilly passed away this week and will be laid to rest tomorrow. And one of our most famous students joins me now to recall the great woman, Edward Holly. Welcome to Late Lunch. Good afternoon, Jerry. How are you? I'm very good. It's safe to say, and I see it already from the comment we're getting, this woman touched so many people's lives. Incredibly so, yeah. I mean, I know so many people studied piano with her. I know my mum studied piano with her for a little while. At my choir rehearsal last night... Jackie Lyons did piano. Niall Munster's mum studied piano with her. So the list is endless. She, you know, she influenced and taught the skills of piano to so many people. And across the generations, as you say there, 64 Fair Street, the Red Door. Yes, and she herself told me that that was once an egg factory, would you believe? They exported eggs from there before it became a music school. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Was she your first teacher? Well... I enrolled in the Curly School of Music. I was coming out of the library, which is now the Boomerang Cafe. 
uh, with my mum one day and um, my mum said, would you like to learn music? I was six and a half years of age and I went into Fair Street and we met Miss Curley and she said, oh, he's he's quite young, isn't he? Can he read? Is he a good reader? And my mum said, I'm quite good at reading. And eventually a little note came around, posted in the letterbox, written by the late Miss Curley herself, Lord Rester, saying I can start teaching Edward in September. So my first lessons actually began with Jim Walsh, who I owe a great amount to as well. He was amazing. So I studied with Jim for a year and then around age seven then went to Miss Crilly herself for several years then. Do you remember those early years going in, what it was like? Describe it. What was the place like to go to? Do you know, even later on when I was playing concerts, I always wished that I could learn to read music over and over again. I just loved it so much. I just loved the you know, being shown where the notes were going through my, I think it was my Roland's piano tutor. Um, I can remember the hallway. I can remember the stairs. I remember the piano. You just remember everything about the place. You know, it was a magical place. She was written about extensively and it's one regret I have, I have to say, that I never got to interview her. What was she like as a person? Was she a little eccentric in ways? I'm not sure if I'd use the word eccentric. Um, She was a very intelligent lady. Mm. I mean, she wrote lots of poetry and prose as well as teaching piano. She had a couple of books published. Um, She was great um, for charity. In fact, when some of us as students were asked, would we collect for UNICEF? And I can remember going around um, Scarlet Crescent and and certain housing estates where I lived um, collecting. She made us, not made us, she asked what I am. I would, of course, you wouldn't ask a child to go around now at that age, but uh, (laughs) she asked if I would do that. Uh, She used to collect church gate collections for St. Martyrs. So she, you know, she was she was interested in charities as well. Very creative person. Um, I mean, if you're asking me, your musician's eccentric. I'm not sure I'm the one that you should be asking. <laughs> Maybe it goes with the territory, Edward. You know, it we might, have to say it might do. Um, but no, no, she could hold a really good conversation. She, you know, she was great. Every, in fact, every Christmas day, I used to visit her, and we would have a chat for about a half hour before she went off to lunch with or Christmas dinner with either, say, her great friend Celia McGovern, or indeed the MMMs where she was for the last. While so, yes, she was, and they cared for her greatly in recent years there in Aris. Where we want, want to mention them and, and I'm sure thank them for, for that. Um, what was she like as a teacher? Was she tough on you? You know, when you went there and you had to take your homework, or you know, you had to go yeah. away and practice. If you, I'm sure you're you were a model student, you always <laughs> did, but if you didn't. Um, well, I suppose any teacher's job is, you know, if you don't practice, you need, you need to tell the student. I mean, the parents are paying, you know, they're paying money for their lessons. They're paying for instruments, tuning, all that kind of thing. So it's important to practice. And she she would have known that. Um, I don't think she ever gave out to me. much. <laughs> I, I don't really remember. But if something wasn't right, you know, she she would correct it. You know, yeah. Um, I remember once before an exam learning a piece in the wrong clef. Um, it was a Mendelssohn piece. And somehow there was a little part of it in the bass clef. And I had learned it completely wrong. And she noticed it the week before and, and I had to fix it, which I did. Um, but no, I mean, I just I just loved love studying with her. And she get you know, she gave me a love of music. She gave me the skills to play piano, you know, so I just Definitely not strict as far as I was concerned. <laughs> oh, Sinead Brazel was telling me herself and her brothers used to go to her, but there were weeks, you know, Sinead wouldn't be prepared for the lesson and the brothers, and they'd be sweating going in and they were hoping that the phone would ring inside because <laughs> if it rang, she'd get into a conversation on the phone and the time would pass and they might get out the door unscathed. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know, yeah. I often joke at my own students, although it's not quite true. Um, they come in, if they haven't practised, I say, I don't even have to listen to you playing. I know by the way you walk in the door when you've done 
done your practice or not. You can read them straight away. I was reading more about her, and, and you mentioned this to me a little earlier before uh, we came on air. Green Hills College, she was of Drogheda and our family for a number of generations before were of Drogheda as well. I think our great-great-grandfather came from Straban. Oh, right, OK. And, and he came here, just a, a little bit of a history lesson, to build the old Mornington Church, the wow. real old Mornington Church. Wow. And they settled here from, from then and they were always part of the town and Fair Street in particular. But Green Hills College, I didn't know this. You knew this about her. Yeah. She went to Green Hills. It was Jim Walsh that told me this, actually, that um, she was in the very first year of Green Hills Boarding School. Now, there is a beautiful photograph of about, I'm not sure, about 16, 18 uh, first-year students in these gorgeous um, uniform, like a sort of a sash on the uniform. I actually put it up and draw it down memory lane five or six years ago when she gave me the photograph, uh, and I think I'll, I'll, I'll put that up again oh, for should, Edward, to see it. yes. It's a beautiful photo, and even in her later years, her mind was, thankfully, fantastic. She actually told me where each of those girls ended up. You know, one went off to Donegal, one emigrated. She was able to tell me exactly how those, you know, who their parents were. She was, you know, of great, great, her mind was in great condition, mm. thankfully. So a boarder in Green Hills College, the Green Hills College of today, back in those days. So she was sent there to stay there to learn. The other thing she said, uh, they hadn't got a piano at home. It was a relation who had a piano where she went to learn. I remember her telling me that, yeah. I know that she had, for example, I know she had two aunts had a shop somewhere in Drogheda. I'm not 100% certain where that is. She did tell me as well that her father helped her set up the music school. So Mm -hmm. it seems her father was a a big influence. I know she finished her grade 8. She was quite young when she finished her grade 8 and she told me that she couldn't sit her diploma until she was perhaps age 18. So she was ready to sit her diploma but she wasn't allowed at the time because she wasn't old enough. That wouldn't matter now. Yes, she's way ahead in in terms of developmental development at the age she she was then. Trinity Street, actually, I've just found out. Trinity Street, a cousin's house in Trinity Ah. Street. There was a piano there where she went to play. But here's the thing. She asked Santa Claus one year for a piano accordion. accordion. But a button accordion arrived. Now, you (laughs) might explain. This was... (laughs) I'm not on the centre. No, but she wasn't. she, She thought, oh, my God, Santa got it completely wrong. You know, she wanted... Why would she want the piano accordion rather than the button? Maybe at that point she had done some practice on on the actual keyboard of her piano and that would have been more familiar for her, I see. I I would say. Well, it it didn't stop her, as you say, because she had the relative with the piano. She went at at a very young age and right through the grades in in study as well. Um, It's fair to say that we're not talking about hundreds. Thousands of people would have passed through that school. Yeah, there were many, many students. And oh, through my life, I've met people who said, yes, I studied piano with, with Miss Curley. I studied in the school. And they're fond memories. They really do. Of, um, I mean, f- children to get the opportunity to study music, you know, with a, with a lovely lady. She was kind, you know, and she, she would have cared about each student as well, you know, and looked after their interests, made, made them practice <laughs> for their own good. Of course. You must have been one of the youngest because she was quoted as saying that she taught from six years of age, just over six years of age, up to 86. Yeah, yeah, she would have taught adult students, definitely. Yeah, maybe someone that had maybe given up piano for a little while and come back to it later on in life, she would have done that as well, I think. And she did love writing, and I, I have a message in that's just come in from Bridie Clark and said, Jerry, delighted to hear you're doing a piece with Edward on the late Miss Crilly, a legend in Drogheda. She compiled a lovely book of poems on teaching music to children. It was so funny. Uh, I attended a writing workshop with her many years 
years ago and she really was a woman who took it very very seriously and uh, Miss Crilly wrote many stories about uh, people who passed away about a policeman trying uh, to get the patient to tell him uh, what had happened with a crime etc etc she was amazing uh, says Bridie Clark and many people have fond memories of it. They do indeed, Bridie. Thanks indeed for that message. She, she actually told me a lovely story once about in the early days when there was so little traffic in Drogheda and that her dad, I think, built her a sleigh and it was snowing and she got the sleigh and she went all the way down Peter Street and she said she 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 built up so much pace she actually ended up at the Augustinian Church I remember telling you that story <laughs> right down in the Shop snow yeah, yeah. wonderful she was known as well for cycling about she was seen a lot on the bike she was a woman who cycled around the place I never saw that now I have yeah. to say yeah. but you see it was at a time when you know there was less traffic of course on the roads and the other thing to say about her today she was a massive movie buff she went to and she said this there was a time that once movies came to the local cinemas mm. she made a point of going to see them that was in her younger life to midlife as well I think that tapered off you know as yeah the I don't remember talking too much about the movies I know she loved watching snooker for example she told, Did she? She told me that she, she, would, she wouldn't miss a snooker game <laughs> really, on the television a yeah, big, she told big me that. snooker fan was yeah, she yeah. was she wonderful wonderful but you know in, in our passing uh, today or this week it, it, it is the end of an era such she has no family I was just reading the death notice at, at the age of 93 I suppose not that I'm aware yeah. of not 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 that I'm aware of I have to say um, she obviously spoke about her parents and her aunts and all the rest but no she mm. doesn't sadly but I mean she has a family of students you know like I can still remember people like you know Linda Maher Olive Powdley Kate McCafferty myself uh, the Hoy girls um, Pat Harty all teaching there and you know when you're in music that, that can be your family you know and she is being laid to rest just for anybody who uh, was a student of hers or who would like to go and pay their respects. And I'm sure there's going to be a hell of a turnout tomorrow, a big turnout. It's at 10.30, uh, the Mass in St. Peter's Church in the heart of Drogheda. Where else would she want it? That's right. She uh, went to Mass there quite regularly yeah, actually, up until her fall. Yeah. And that's happening tomorrow. So she, she made her mark on you, that's for sure. Unquestionably, yeah. I mean, you know, any good teacher will inspire you. And if you if you've the wrong teacher, you won't continue on in music, you know. So she obviously encouraged me to practice, encouraged me to do my exams. And I remember, um, you know, we always kept in touch, even when I went to college, even when I moved to another teacher, you know, we still kept we still kept in touch. In fact, I, I, I went to her for another year or two after I moved to a different teacher, which is almost unheard of because a new teacher would say, no, 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 you know, you, you need to study with me. But even my, this teacher, Tony Byrne, he knew that uh, there was a bond there between us and he didn't want that to, to break on, for a while, you know, so. We've had a message from Etna and Christopher Doggett who uh, say they were very friendly with her and uh, they've spent Christmas Eve with her and they wanted us to mention the gold grain biscuits. She loved gold grain biscuits. Isn't it funny the little things, the the little delights in life that people have? Yeah, absolutely. These these things are important. They keep us going. <laughs> they, they, yeah. they, they, they certainly do. Edward, will you stay there? I want to take a short break. Uh, Anne Crilly, we're remembering her this afternoon on Late Lunch. Did she teach you? Have you memories? Would you like to say anything? 086 1800 you can WhatsApp or text us or call in on 1850-715-958. Edward Holly, Musical Director of St. Peter's Male Voice Choir, is with me. Anne Crilly passed away this week and he was a pupil of Anne's from a very young age. Now, just back to yourself, uh, Edward. You teach with TU Dublin, Technical University Dublin is the is the new name. Yeah, Techno- Technology University technology, Dublin. Yeah. yeah, And um, that's the new name for DIT. Yeah, we moved to Grange Gorman in September. 
Oh, so this is the move that's been planned all these oh, years. Oh, about 30 years, probably. <laughs> <laughs> to get, because you were higgledy-piggledy in the city, and now it'll be all under the one all roof. All under the one campus, yeah. It looks very exciting. The building looks amazing. And it has this lovely mix of the kind of old-worldly look, old stone buildings mixed with new architecture. So it looks very exciting. We get a new recital hall, better facilities for students, better pianos. It's going to be absolutely amazing. You have a number of students approaching key milestones this Ab- year. Absolutely, yeah. So I play for... I regularly coach and rehearse with students doing their degrees in music performance. So this year I have three of them doing their finals. So I'll be kept busy rehearsing and getting them ready. Keep my own playing at the scratch. <laughs> <laughs> Exciting times for, for them, for sure. What about the choir, St. Peter's Male Voice? An outstanding Christmas concert just passed. Yes, and just to say a massive thank you to everybody that came to the concert and yourself for doing just an amazing job as our compare. Uh, we had Celine Byrne as our guest, who has the most outstanding voice and could probably be a stand-up comic as well if she felt like it. <laughs> Didn't she could? He's uh, not joking. And uh, the, the lads in the choir were in terrific form. Mm. What an audience. Uh, it was an amazing atmosphere, great fun. And again, I think we're near, next year will be 20 years, actually, of those Christmas concerts. Mm. So uh, exciting times. Another milestone to come. But seriously, with Celine... We want to say again, this lady in world terms with our voice and our operatic performances is right up there. Absolutely. And yet, Edward, she's the salt of the earth. She's so nice, isn't Celine she? Celine is very down to earth, really down to earth. She is a lovely person, very warm, caring person. Um, great fun. You know, she great chat, great laugh. I'm sure, you know, we were having a good laugh at the side of the stage, chatting away. And then all of a sudden, all not serious, but, you know, goes out and performs the arias beautifully. She's well-trained. She is uh, has an amazing voice. It's a beautiful voice. No wonder she's in demand. Talking about voices, can any, can everybody sing, Edward? Is there a note in everybody? Are there people who come to you in the choir that you just have to say to, you know what, thanks a million, but we can't fit you in here? Oh, I mean, we, we don't turn people away. So, there are some people who would tend to admit themselves that they don't have a, a musical note, but you would be surprised that most people can actually sing. I remember years ago, two uh, members from um, the Franciscan Choir, when they were moving, saying, oh, I don't think I'd be good enough to join St. Peter's Choir. They joined and they turned out to be some of the best singers we ever had. You know, so sometimes you need to be uh, somebody to sort of tell you, yes, you're very good. You're well able to do this. You don't have to be brilliant at reading music. You just have to enjoy music, enjoy singing. What's the commitment uh, for somebody to come along and join with the choir? Um, Once a week uh, between September and May. And obviously we take holidays at Easter and all the rest. So uh, the two hour rehearsal on a Thursday night. Uh, we're in the Lord's Church rehearsing at the moment. So anyone can pop along next Thursday to Our Lady of Lourdes Church. What time again is it? Uh, eight o'clock. And I, I always say to them as well, you know, you, nobody expects you to stay. Come in for two or three weeks, see if it's for you. If it's not for you, you don't want to be there, then you're not going to enjoy it. But the thing is, most people stay. We've had a few members joined and they made their debut at Christmas and they're absolutely loving it. They're having a great time. And the lads are great fun, believe it or not. The Cracks 90 with St. Peter's, that's for sure. Listen to this, it's just come to us from David Moore. You know, David, thank you indeed, David. Hi, Jerry Edward, Miss Crilly, a true lady. Not my fondest memory, but an indelible one is this. Upon returning home from the Riverdance, a, a Riverdance tour, of course, David right, started with yeah. Riverdance almost 20 years ago. I met Miss Crilly on Fair Street. I was on the opposite side of the road and she stood outside the music school. We waved across the street greeting one another. How's Riverdance going? She said, Great, says I back. To which she responded, I always knew all your music was in those feet. <laughs> oh, <laughs> David, good on you. What yeah. a great story that is. Another legendary tale about a wonderful woman. Very good. 
Anyway, thank you for coming in to pay tribute to your former music teacher today. I really appreciate it, Edward. And to finish, I'm going back to the choir, St. Peter's, and Christmas, and this mega hit you have on your hands. Well, yeah, we sang a song that I don't know if all the guys like. Um, the song was chosen because I remember sitting with my dad, listening to this song on his hi-fi with his Wolfdale speakers, listening on vinyl. And uh, it just brings back happy memories. And it's a bit of fun. And it's a song called Blanket on the Ground. Watch this space. It could be put down by the choir this year for posterity and released as a single. Edward Holly, we have to leave it with the blanket. Thank you for joining me Thank today. you very much, Jerry. Thank, Thank you. you. Come and look out through the window That big old moon is shining down Tell me now, don't it remind you Of a blanket on the ground Remember back when love first found us We'd go slipping
Yes, Billy Joe Spears and the original version of Blanket on the Ground on late lunch this Friday afternoon. Now, just reminding you, next week we're going to have fun with you on late lunch and there's a big prize at the end of the rainbow. Yes, a return trip for two people to Dubai. Compliments of Emirates and Globe Travel and four nights at a wonderful top-class hotel there for two of you as well. How do you win it? Well, first of all today, you need to get in touch with us. You need to WhatsApp or text the words Globe Travel. Globe Travel. WhatsApp or text them now to 086-1800-658 with your name and details. And all next week, if you enter today, and we've had lots of entries during the week, We'll at random pick some numbers and we'll call you from Monday during late lunch, half one to half three. When the phone rings, you must sing to me these words. Fly me to Dubai. You must sing it when the phone rings. Nothing else. If you say anything else, you're out. You're not in. But if you sing those words, you're getting closer to the big prize. Best of luck to you with that one. Up next on late lunch, I was reared on it myself. Raw milk. Good man, Jerry. Enjoyed it. Dance around the kitchen to blanket on the ground, says Peggy. I'm sure more people did as well, Peggy. Loved it to hear from you this afternoon and glad you enjoyed it. Did you know that Trim is the first place in the northeast to stock raw organic milk from the Natural Milk Company? Michael Keating is the man behind it and he's on the line. Michael, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jerry. Um, thanks for the call there. Not at all. Thank you for taking our call. A personal problem pointed you in this direction. Tell us the wee story. Yes, Jerry. Um, I suppose I, I had been suffering with stomach issues there for a number of years. Um, and, and I had been researching, you know, I suppose what could possibly help with that uh, ailment. Um, and... Organic uh, raw kefir is one product that is very good for, for people with stomach issues. But um, that's kind of what got me interested in raw milk in the first place. But um, I suppose the problem being it was very hard to get the, the organic raw milk. And um, I set about then, I suppose, looking to get it. And that's where it all started. Mm, it's highly regulated, of course, the pasteurising of milk. I, I did say earlier on, as a child and growing up, I was reared on unpasteurised raw milk as well. And I have to be honest with you, it didn't do us any harm. But today, regulations, EU, you know what I'm talking about. So you had to go then looking for it. Where did you find it? Where did you find farmers that were willing to give you the raw produce? Yeah, well, I, I met with, I, I suppose I had a, a good bit of research in, uh, in, uh, to start with to find farmers in the first place and then, I suppose, to find farmers that would be interested, I suppose, in doing raw milk. And I happened to come across a farmer uh, whose name is Sean Condon in Limerick and he had been selling um, small quantities of raw milk uh, and his milk is fully certified organic as well. So he had already been, had already started, which was a big help. Um, and I suppose it just started from there. Um, Sean is a very nice man. He's very thorough. So um, he was an ideal candidate for, for us to start with, you know. And we have to say the rules and regulations around this are stringent as well. Very strict. And, and they actually came in, the, the, the new regulations only came in there in the last year. Um, they're very strict. And I suppose uh, rightly so, because... I suppose you want with raw milk you want it to be you want it to be right and you want it to be safe so um, in fairness to the department I think they've got it right on this occasion you know um, they, they have I, I suppose very good regulations there yes. um, they are very strict but it, it is in I suppose in everyone's interest that that the raw milk is of top quality you know 
There is a demand, as you found out, because it's now sto- stocked, I have to tell listeners, in 60 shops nationwide, and you're producing, what, about 1,600 litres a week? That's right, yeah. yeah it, I suppose it started off very small. We just had a few shops in Galway. Uh, I'm actually from Galway myself. So um, we started there, and I suppose word of mouth, uh, with word of mouth, word of mouth it, um, it has spread. Um, we're now in, I suppose, in Limerick, Clare, Galway, um, Athlone, um, and then we have about 20 shops in Dublin, and our, our, we've just moved into Mead there, um, called Zero there in Trim, which is a lovely shop yeah. there as well. So we're, we're delighted to, to stock there. You're getting great reaction and feedback, not alone here in Ireland. I believe demand, there's demand potentially all over the world. There is. Um, it's funny because we, we're, we're in a few places like Ennis Time and, um, and Up Gerard, kind of touristy uh, places. Um, and I think people that were on holidays here bought the milk and were, were talking to their friends back home and one or two of them actually contacted us to see when they were back in Ireland where they could buy the milk. So we actually had one call from Hong Kong. I actually thought it was a, a, a hoax call at, at, at first, but they were, they were actually coming over to Ireland um, and they wanted to, to know where they could buy the milk, you know, because they'd heard such good things about it. So it's kind of funny in one way, you know. There's benefits in this raw milk that's not pasteurised. Yeah, I suppose, like for the gut now, it is, it is very good in that there's a lot of um, good bacteria in, in organic raw milk, or in raw milk, should I say, um, because when it's pasteurised, uh, you kill all the bacteria and the enzymes, you know. So that would be one of the main benefits, um, I suppose, all, all the good bacteria. And you can also make uh, kefir out of raw milk, which contains up to 61 strains of, of good bacteria, you know. So oh, yeah. that would be one of the one of the major ones. Um, I suppose the taste, it's very creamy. Our milk is, is, it comes from cows that are milked once a day, so it's, it's, it's um, very creamy and, and therefore tastes very good. Um, and I suppose vitamins and minerals would be higher in, in raw milk as well because some of the vitamins and minerals can be lost in, with pasteurisation. So there's, there's, there's a number of benefits there, really. And the other benefit in terms of the debate that's going on at the moment and recycle, reusing and helping this planet of ours, glass bottles. That's right, yeah, glass bottles. Um, I suppose, you know, I think it's the way forward. We're actually going to start reusing the bottles as well. We have to get a special washer, obviously, to, you know, with raw milk, it has to you have to be 110% sure that you're you're cleaning the bottles and uh, 100% properly. So um, that's going to start shortly and we'll be asking customers to bring back the bottles um, to the shops and we'll pick them up off the shops. So, um, and as well as that, I suppose, even on the farm, because it's organic, you're not using, say, a lot of the spray, you're not using any of the sprays or any of that. So, there's, you know, there's a lot of benefits all around. Fantastic. Well, you know, it brings me back, I have to say, when I talk to you today, because it, there was a farmer who lived across the road from us. Many people would know him as well on the North Road in Drogheda, Packy Phillips, and he had his farmyard on the edge of town. God, it's in the middle of town now, Michael. But uh, yeah. he, he, he had the cattle there and milked them, and he used to go around and deliver the milk. You know, he'd have it in churns on a... On a um, it was a lean-to at the back of the house, and they'd have them in, in a, a stone bath with cold water to keep it cool. God, isn't it amazing how times have changed, isn't yes. it? You know, and the, 
yeah. But it's funny actually that you say it brings you back because the the amount of people I, I meet in the shops as I'm, I'm putting the milk on the shelves that say, God, the glass bottles brings me back. Yeah. Um, and, and they even say that they remember the bottles being left on the doorstep and the crows, the crows attacking <laughs> the cream on top yes. as well, you know. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, you really are getting me going here now with a wander <laughs> down memory lane. And of course, it has a shelf life yours of what, about seven days, is it, yeah? That's right, seven days, yeah, and it has to be refrigerated there uh, under five degrees at all times, you know. Mm. But, um, no, it, 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 it's, it's a good shelf life there, um, and, and as I said, it's, it's a fantastic product, and anyone that has tasted it really loves it, you know. Mm. Well, wish you well with it. Lovely to talk to you today, and just again to mention, Cult Zero in Trim is stocking the natural milk co- company's uh, product. Thanks, Michael. Good luck to you. Thanks, Jerry. Lovely to talk to you. You too. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yes, of course. Memories, memories. Do you remember the milk bottles, Louise, outside the front door and what Michael was talking about there as well? The birds come and peck in the foil on the top of the bottle. No, I don't oh, remember jeepers. them. I just, and no, it, it, just remember the cartons. Well, we had the we had loose milk first and, and Packy used to go around and deliver it. You know, you'd get it loose and he'd pour it out and measure it out in pints. Oh. Into, he'd come to your door with a can right. with a nozzle on it and he'd have little half pint and pint metal tins and he'd pour it and if you wanted two pints he'd pour it out and then pour it into the air jug in the house wow no bottles no gardens and he'd come every day no nothing every day he'd come every day horse and cart initially and then in the car he'd come delivering and then beyond and no refrigeration probably oh sure we hadn't a fridge <laughs> you're joking me fridge I was freezing in the house we had no heating <laughs> <laughs> you needed we weren't Ice sick cream. we were never sick we weren't running to the doctor or anything we were fit and healthy and hardy, not like today. Central heating, more colds and flus I'd than be anything freezing. else. You'd get used to it. You really would get. You put extra clothes on to keep warm. But then beyond that, when he stopped, you had the milk bottles, and the milkman left it with a little foil on top of the bottle. Don't you know, listeners? I, you know what I'm talking I about. I actually vaguely have a memory of a bottle coming up to Christmas that the foil on the top it, they'd have little Santa Clauses on yes now you're talking oh very vague. and the bottles went back but anyway the killer was this the birds copped on that the cream in the bottle the cream the top inch and a half two inches maybe three inches was cream and below mm. it was it would separate in the bottle the birds had hammered the foil <laughs> take the cream out but you see I used to get up first in the morning get my cornflakes out and pour the cream over the cornflakes oh, you meant to shake the bottle to mix the cream through the milk Okay. But our so milk was pale. I had them on skim milk before <laughs> skim milk was ever invented. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I was thinking of their health. I was thinking of my own <laughs> because I love the cream on the cornflakes. Memories, memories on late lunch this Friday afternoon. Let's head to news and sport. Friday afternoon, late lunch and yes, we're back with sport on the show and the man who joins us every Friday to look ahead to the big sporting events, local, national and international and we're on the international and local front today is Leon Blanche, Communications Manager with Boyle Sports. Happy New Year to you, Leon. And the same to you, Jerry, and many, many happy returns. Thank you for joining me today. Let's begin with the Premier League and the big game this weekend is Tottenham Hotspur against Liverpool. Yeah, look, it really is. And I think Jose Mourinho, he had a very good start uh, with Tottenham Hotspur. It's been a little bit indifferent um, in his last couple of games. They were lucky, I felt, to get a draw away against Norwich. And then they got beaten by Southampton. So Mourinho, his star man is out until April, Harry Kane. That's not going to be good 
for uh, Spurs fans, hopefully, young Troy Parrish, the Irish young sensation, he might get a bit of game time. It looks as if Christian Eriksen is leaving. And it's very, very strange to see Spurs as big as 7-2 to two at home. But it goes to show you the calibre of opposition. Liverpool have just been absolutely relentless in the Premier League. They won their last 14 games last season and they've won 19 out of 20 this season. It truly is a remarkable run of form. You've got to give a lot of credit to the players and the management. Liverpool are 7-10 to favourites and the draw is 3-1. to In terms of Boyle Sports customers, they only want to want to be with Liverpool to beat Tottenham Hotspur in tomorrow night's game at half past five. And I think Liverpool, with a couple of players coming back from injury, Matip and Shaqiri, and the squad looks to be getting stronger and better. Minamino, I think, is going to be a great addition for only £7 million. I think Liverpool should be too strong for a weekend Tottenham Hotspur side. Now, the team that's keeping the pressure on them is Leicester City, and they're going really well. They drew at Villa midweek in the League Cup, but they're back in league action tomorrow against a Southampton side that they played, if you remember, Leon, and thrashed 9-0 in the autumn of yeah. the year. What a turnaround for Southampton since. Yeah, certainly, Jerry. I mean, that was a, that was a ridiculous scoreline. I know Leicester, or sorry, Southampton were down to 10 men, but Leicester were ultra. They were so ruthless. They were so clinical. However... That seems to have been the turning point for the Saints. And Rafe Hausenhutl has found an unbelievable goal scorer in Danny Ings. I think he scored nine in his last nine games for Southampton. I remember him with Liverpool, but he was just very unfortunate that he got so many injuries. However, he's playing every week at Southampton and he's scoring goals for fun. We actually have the top two marksmen in the Premier League coming up against each other. Jamie Vardy who returned to the Leicester team. He assisted Ian Acho for that equaliser against Villa and Danny Ings. They're the top two scorers in the Premier League at the moment. Leicester will be looking to continue their winning form in the league. They're 4-6 to six to beat Southampton at home, who are 4-1. to one, And the draw here is 14-5. A little side note, from an Irish perspective, it's very good to see Shane Long getting back in amongst decide the first 11 for Southampton and Obafemi, the young Irish kid as well. So we need both of those guys getting some minutes ahead of that all-important playoff come March. But I think, Jerry, Leicester at home, they might just be too strong for Southampton. Just before we leave the Premier League and on a personal note, Arteta with Arsenal, he seems to have hit the ground running and certainly they were a different side in the second half against Leeds the other night in uh, the uh, FA Cup. But they are away tomorrow to Crystal Palace and this has been traditionally a sticky fixture for Arsenal. It is a sticky fixture, but I do like what I'm seeing from um, Arteta. He's bringing a new style of play to the Gunners. It's reminiscent, of course, and it's very similar uh, to what Man City and Liverpool do. It's a high press, but they seem to be pressing as a unit, and that's what you need to do. They were very, very good against Manchester United when they totally dominated them in the Premier League. And if even you go back to the Chelsea game, when they were winning 1-0 only for that howler of a mistake from the goalkeeper, I actually thought Arsenal would have won that match as well. So it's early days for Arteta. Arsenal are favourites at 5-6. to six. Crystal Palace at home, they can be very difficult to break down, Jerry. They're as big as 3-1, to one, but I'm going to sit on the fence here. I think the draw at 11-4 to four is probably the value in this particular game, and I don't think that would be a bad result for Arteta away from home at Selhurst Park. 
Let's move to rugby and the European Cup is back on this weekend and Leinster and Munster in action on Sunday. Let's begin with Leinster in Group A. They're at home to Lyon. Yeah, look, Lyon, they're lying second in their uh, league table over in France. But this Leinster side at the moment, they just have such strength and depth in that squad. And it's no surprise to see them at such long odds on favourites. People now are looking at Leinster in terms of the handicap betting. Now, it's minus 33 points, Jerry. It's a huge head start to try and overcome. I think Leinster will win. But unfortunately, if you do like the handicap betting, I think you've got to go with the French side, being given a 33-point head start. Leinster will win and win comfortably, but I don't see them winning by 34 points or more. Now, Munster travel in the opposite direction and they take on Racing 92. Yeah, look, Jerry, Munster, unfortunately, at the moment, that defeat against Ulster, that was a huge shock. And it was a bit of a, I mean, I think it was a bit of a wake-up call for Munster fans, Munster players and Munster management They've got to get their act together and get their act together quite quickly. Huge loss, losing Joey Carberry for the entire season. Of course, he's going to miss the Six Nations with Ireland as well. And Munster, they are the underdogs at 100-30. to Racing are odds-on at 9-2-1. And in the handicap betting, again, Munster are getting 11 points. But you know what, Jerry? I think this is going to be a very long afternoon on Sunday. I actually see Racing winning by 12 or more. Leon, as usual, thank you so much indeed. Your first sporting look ahead of the new year and we'll talk to you again on Friday next. Have a great weekend, Jerry. Don't know about you, but when mine were small, the duty of the soother was a godsend. Oh my word, how would we have reared them without it? Some people go without it, but I think it's a huge part of baby's life to an age. And then, of course, you have to get rid of it. Well, at Newbarn Farm, they have a dodo tree, and we're going to hear more about it now from Saskia Router. Afternoon, Saskia. Good afternoon, how are you? I'm very good, thanks for taking our call. This is a lovely, lovely wee story. So, you are the go-to place for parents who are having trouble chucking the suitor. Well, we seem to be coming to turning into that place, all right, yeah. Tell Uh, us about the tree. What's the story behind the dodo tree? Well, when we opened the farm shop at Newbarn Farm and kind of people started visiting, my father, William, started just as he was walking across the yard and around the shop, he started to see a lot of um, discarded soothers and uh, like just kind of one or two every so often and he put them in his pocket and um, as he was going by a cherry tree we have in the yard, he just hung the soothers up on the cherry tree and um, this kind of carried on but we started to wonder as the, the numbers grew, we said, where are all these coming from? And we, we, we were kind of completely confused like there couldn't be that many careless toddlers and babies throwing them out of the prams without the the mammies noticing Um, so then one day we were standing in the yard and we saw our little Jack Russell Dougal and we saw him begging in front of a pram and sure enough the baby threw the soother at him a toddler threw the soother at him and he got the soother and trotted off with it (laughs) I love this story and that's where they were coming from Dougal was doing his damnedest to gather as many as he could yeah he seemed to have all little dogs have kind of different personalities and he just seemed to love soothers so yeah and he he did this we used to clean out his bed every so often and um, you'd always find two or three soothers in the bed that he'd he'd probably 
stolen essentially so, off toddlers. <laughs> so there you are, mums and dads, when you blamed your little ones for throwing them away or they disappeared unknowingly. Dougal was the culprit, the Jack Russell in Newbarn Farm. And now Absolutely. this has become tradition in the place. Well, as we kind of do go now, unfortunately, he died in ah. 2017. Ah, no. But as we, because we've ex- we've expanded the farm and we now have a restaurant, so we continue, whenever we find soothers that have been left behind in the restaurant or left behind, we actually, we continue to, we have been continuing to add to the tree. Yeah. But we've noticed over recent years that, that other people have been adding soothers to the tree as well. And... Especially before Christmas, I think, is a, a, a run-off time. It's the time for people to give up, <laughs> or toddler babies to give up yeah. the dodo. So we've actually we've noticed that there's soothers appearing in the tree that we haven't put there. And um, we actually, a couple of, pe- couple of people before Christmas, we spotted them and they, they were bringing their, their child over to the tree and they were hanging the soothers up on the tree to, to say goodbye to them. And we just thought, well, we'll, we'll, we'll let people know how this, how, you know, what started this tradition of hanging the soothers on the tree. And it is now part and parcel of Newbarn Farm. And and do you have a, a scenario yourselves where you get involved in this? Will you give a little gift to a child or anything or an encouragement if they hang the, the duty of the suitor on the tree? Well, it's something we, we'll definitely consider because it's a big step in any yes. other person's life. It's a big step on the road to growing up. So I think... A, yeah, I think it's something we'd have to we'll have to think about maybe a, an ice cream in exchange mm. for a soother. I see incentive. potential in this big potential <laughs> as another little strand to your offering at Newbarn Farm as well. I absolutely love it and Dougal, the Jack Russell will be remembered forever. It's a lovely, lovely story it is and the genesis of it. It's great to hear it from yourself, Saskia, this afternoon. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. No problem. Thank you very much. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Saskia Rooter there from Newbarn Farm. Isn't that just charming, Louise? A charming tale. It's gorgeous. To finish the week on the show. I yeah, love I it. love it. Yeah, and it is. Had you any trouble? Were you, did you give them a duty yours? Or um, I think uh, my eldest copped on that there was nothing at the end of it, so he spat it out fairly fast. Okay. Uh, Trina didn't take one, and Cormac had one. Okay, so yeah. they it has, and, and, and at times it's hard to, to get them to chuck it, isn't it? They yeah. they, they get so much comfort from it. They do. They love their duties, don't they? They do. They I think what happened to us them. was we went up to Dublin for a day and we forgot it and Cormac was about two and a half and we just never kind of yeah. gave it back to him after well, that. It, there's your option now, folks. New Barn Farm. The Duda Tree yeah, is I there. Up you go and show them all the others and tell them the children have got rid of them and it's a, another another angle in getting rid of the suitor when it comes to that age. Anyway, that's it on Late Lunch. I want to say my thanks. Big thank you to Louise Walsh, my producer. Couldn't do this without her. I say it all the time, every day, and it is so true to our guests who joined us during the week, and especially to you, our listeners who join us every day. And don't forget, Globe Travel next week. Fly me to Dubai. Get ready. We could be calling you on Monday, and you must answer to move on in the competition. Have a lovely weekend, and we leave you in the company of Queen are stopping us now. It's over for this week. We'll be back Monday. See you then. Tonight, I'm gonna have myself a real good time. I feel alive. And the world, I'm turning inside out. Yeah. I'm floating around in ecstasy. So don't stop. 
Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We want you to challenge us for the best deal on a new Renault or Dacia in 2020. You can now inquire at blackstonemotors.ie. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 